0: Were, we were working with was a larger church, and it had its own school. And part of what I did was I taught a high school Bible class for for I guess it was just one year that I taught that class. And I remember being the teacher, and the curriculum was all set ahead, so I didn't have to come up with that. But I remember before you know as the, as the year started, just laying out okay, what are what are the expectations going to be, and one of the things they needed to do was was read a little bit from the Bible every day and do like a reflection question on that but I remember giving them the syllabus and saying, okay this is what you need to do to get an A and basically if you'll do the reading and do a little reflection class that's gonna take you like half the way to the points that you need for this class and then you know the rest of the class we have tests and there's a final exam and I remember my heart as a teacher was I wanted everybody to ace this class, right? Like I wanted everybody to get an A in the class, not just because that because of some number or, or grade, but because I really cared about the content, and I you know this was valuable stuff that could really help shape shape their lives and wanted them to to nail it. now unfortunately, that's not what happened. Um, I found out you know you got to treat. Some of, these cult, some of these high school kids weren't quite as mature as I expected them to be going into it. They'd all actually, it was an optional class. They'd all opted in, saying, yeah, we want to grow as Christian leaders. Um, but then, like, the reality of the choices they made didn't demonstrate that. And so, it was kind of funny, but a couple of the pastor's kids in the class were, like, the worst students in the whole class, kind of, <laughs> like, living up to all the expectations and the stereotypes. But that there was a final exam, and everybody got a grade at the end. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the reality that there is a final examination for each and every one of our lives. There is that our life will be graded. There is there's an evaluation at the end of our life. And that's something in, a, in an age of participation, certificates, and trophies, and you know, equality. Like, we sometimes don't like to think of Like, that's something even in church that I think isn't talked about a lot but the reality is that, is that there is a, a final, final examination. But the heart of our teacher, the heart of God, is even much more so than what my heart was as a teacher. It wasn't that, oh, okay, here's an exam and I want everybody to bomb it because then I'm gonna get to throw down on them and that's what I'm really looking to do. But no, it's that he has a purpose. He's, there's a life is designed to instill some things in us and it's kind of this chance for us to live our own lives and live to the fullest of who God called us to be. And God's heart is that we would all nail the final exam. And that's, that's a real possibility, that we could, at the end of our life, come to that final examination and walk away going, man, that worked out pretty good. I'm feeling good about this. And that matters not only for that moment, but for all of eternity. And that's a, that's a really big deal. And so this is, I was kind of like, you know, it's, some of this is a little like, touchy to talk about, but it, it's really important that we have a clear grasp of what the final exam is, how we can prepare for it, and be ready to nail that sucker. So 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about this, this final exam. Paul writes, and he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I'm just going to read that again. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there it is I uh, we may be excited about this we may not be excited about this but it's better to realize that this is a reality that at the end of our lives at the end of history we will all appear before Christ and there is a final exam and we will be there will be rewards or consequences for how we've lived our lives what we've done in this earth in our bodies whether whether good or evil um, just kind of give me a couple popcorn like answers is how when you hear that what are some of the thoughts or emotions that you have I'm test anxiety <laughs> 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 yeah yeah ultimate test anxiety right there Good. what else don't mess up, don't mess up. yeah great on a curve, great on a curve. <laughs> <laughs> What was that? Hopefully, a lot of grace. Hopefully, there's a lot of grace. <laughs> yeah. I think we can all relate to that. Wrong What's that? Right answers, wrong answers. right answers versus wrong answers. Okay, yeah. Good. Any other thoughts or emotions? Pretty well covered there. Excitement, you the good thing. Oh, come on, man. Teacher's pet here. He's like. <laughs> He's like, ready for it. That's awesome. Come on, Luke. That's great. Well, that is, um, I think those, all those feelings I can totally relate to. I mean, there's whenever I think about this truth that, okay, one day I'm going to stand before God, I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for my life. That catches my attention. Like, that, that changes my train of thought of whatever was going on to think, okay. This, that, that, man, this matters. And, okay, this, this sort of recalibrates things in, a, in an important way. Um, it even recalibrates it more when we look at some of the details. We're going to look next at, at, at the passage at the end of Revelation, where it kind of describes this judgment in the most detail that we have. It's, we don't have a ton of detail, and this, this truth is sprinkled all throughout the Scriptures. Um, Jesus talked about it, it's in the Old Testament, Daniel talked about it, all the apostles talked about it, John talked about it. Um, Here's a description in Revelation chapter 20 of this final exam. And in Revelation 20, verse 11, we read, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Wow, so there's just this majestic scene of this great white throne that God is seated on and his holiness and his power is such and this, this time of judgment at the end of history that nothing can stand, be, be, you know, earth and sky flee, to, flee away. In verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, And if anyone's name was not found written in the Book of Life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So it's really hard to talk about this topic in these passages with, without being accused of being a fire and brimstone preacher, or you know, without being accused of being negative, and you're just trying to scare people. Uh, but there is a very real sobriety about this. So we see at the, at the end of history, this judgment where all the dead appear before God, and books are opened, which appear to have written the deeds of all the people who've ever lived throughout history, and then there's this book of life, and there's this judgment, and the really two takeaways I want to get from this today is the first one, if you have your handouts or if you're taking notes, um, this is this is. One, one thing to really, you know, highlight here is that there's one book, there's more than one book, but there's one book that ultimately matters as far as there's one book and two destinations. And so everybody ends up in one of two destinations. And there's this book called the Book of Life. And basically, this book, it's kind of like the, the who's who of, of heaven, or the who's who of the city of God for eternity, and it's got a list of a bunch of names written on it. And everyone whose name is written in the book of life spends eternity with God in his presence in his his kingdom. In in, uh, the next chapter, Revelation 21, it describes this This new heaven, new earth, and this this place where the people whose whose names are written in the book of life will live. And it says in in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Book of Life, those are the ones who spend eternity in God's presence, in his kingdom, and it talks about heaven and earth basically joining together, heaven coming out of the heavens and coming to the earth, and the earth being renewed, and this whole chapter of Revelation 21 is a description of this this new earth, and what that's going to be like, and uh, there's actually the bottom of your handout, I've got a list of some follow-up scriptures if you want to dig deeper into these topics, you can, that's, this whole chapter is one of those. And so those whose names are written in the book of life, that's, that's their destination. But those whose names are not written in the book of life, the destination is, it's called the second death. So there are, people are thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And that's, uh, first death is when you die physically the first time. But then the second death is after the judgment. There's this, this eternal judgment for those who, whose names are not written in the book of life. And I'm not going to dwell on that, but that is very clearly not a destination that anyone would, I think, say that they wanted to experience. Um, It's it's separation from God. It's a place of torment. It's a place of of intense regret and anguish and separation from from God for, for eternity. And so... What's the, what's the natural question we should be asking here? Ding. Very good. How do you get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Right? Because that's, that's, that's where you want to be. That's, that, that's the list you want to be on. Well, we're going to look at probably the most well-known verses in the whole Bible that talk about that. And this is John, John 3.16. And, and following. John 3 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So, how do we have our names written in the book of life? Believe, believe. yeah, believing in Jesus. The reality is, is that all of us sin; all of us deserve the second death; all of us deserve eternal separation from God; all of us have chosen evil. Not just once, but over and over and over and over again. But God's desire is not to condemn us as we deserved. God sent his Son to take the punishment that we deserve, to take the death that we deserve, to take our sins upon him. And it says, so that whoever believes in him, those who say, Yeah, I believe that you are the, this perfect sacrifice who died for my sins, and I trust that you took the sins of the world and I turn from my sins and I trust in you as my savior then those who believe are forgiven and somebody in heaven writes our name down that point in time where we believe in the book of life so man that's the, the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to take away our sins that he took them on himself so that we could be forgiven and be in his family and spend eternity with him. Um, so that's, that's the key. Oh, that, that, that's so key. Um, and so if, if we've done that today, we have our names written in the book of life. If we haven't done that, then God invites us to turn from our sin and trust in him. Because his desire is not to condemn, but to save. So one book, two destinations... And then, but there's another reality, too, in this final judgment, and that's this, is that everyone's actions will be judged. Everyone's actions will be judged. We go back to Revelation 20, verse 12, we read earlier, it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. So those who haven't turned from their sin and trusted in in Christ are completely judged just for their actions, apart from Jesus' saving work and forgiving their sins. But those of us who have turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus, we also are judged for our actions. There's also an assessment of our life that happens. And... Back to the verse we read at the beginning, Second Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what's due for what he's done in the body, whether, whether good or evil. And so, um, there is, this is the, the, the God saves us not just so we can spend eternity with him, but he has a purpose for our life, he has a calling on our life that he wants us to fulfill, and at the end there's going to be, okay, how did you live out the calling that I had for you? And there are a lot of uh, passages in the Bible that talk about the details of what that looks like. Some of those are at the bottom of the handouts there. Um, We're told that things that really matter in this evaluation are how we care for others. Matthew 25 talks of Jesus. um, The thing, the the deeds that really mattered in that parable that Jesus told were how we took care of the least of these. So how we had compassion for people that were poor. And needy, that were hungry, that were broken. How Jesus actually said that as you did to the least of these, you did to me. And so that is a, a huge factor in, in the eternal judgment. Actually, in that same chapter, there's another parable, the parable of the talents. In that parable, there's a, a master who gives different people different talents and different amounts of money. Actually, talent is not like we think of talents, but it was a, a unit of, of money in in the, in the Roman world. And some one guy got five, one guy got three, one guy got one. And at the end, when the master came back, they were each evaluated according to how they had invested the talents that had been given to them. And it was very clear. They weren't judged according to, like, how many talents did you get to start with. They were evaluated by what did you do with what you got. So we're all different. Like, we have, we have different resources. We have different family backgrounds. We have different, different physical abilities, different mental abilities that God has given us. He's not comparing us with other people. He's not evaluating us next to them. But he's saying, hey, with what I gave you, how did you invest those for my kingdom? And what did you do with that? Um, so, and there's more. But it's, there is a, it's, and it's pretty cool. I. I mean, it's pretty cool the idea that, like the old, the old movie Gladiator, one of the lines from that that, that I think st- stood out the most was the, the main character said, I believe that what we do in this life echoes for eternity. You know, there's a reality that the choices we make, the way we invest our life, the way our, we live in our relationships, the way we take our resources that have been given to us, there are consequences that echo for eternity, and there, the Bible talks a lot about rewards that are given to us as, as, um, as a result of our life. So, yeah. Any thoughts or questions? Uh huh. Yes. Good. So if you couldn't hear Reagan, she's she's asking about so. What's how does the whole what's the relationship of, of faith, and grace? I don't know if you use that word, but the idea that we're saved by by grace by the grace of God and it's by our faith in Him. But then how does that what does that have to do with our actions? And don't, it seems like those things are contradictory, right? Like, does God evaluate us according to our faith or according to our actions? And there are, it's like a lot of things. It's like there's a road and there are ditches on either side, and it's easy to like drive off the road and get stuck in the ditch. And if you take, like, take something too far, one direction you get into the ditch, but you want to find the road. So. The road is that these things are they fit together. That it's not faith versus works, but faith produces works. Real faith, if we really have trust in God, then that changes us, and we become a new creation. And the evidence of our faith is a heart that wants to please God, that wants to live for Him. And it produces works of love and kindness and giving of ourselves and, and investing our lives for God. And so there's a ditch of, of sloppy agape of like, hey, it's just all grace, grace, grace. I don't have to do anything. Just it's, I'm saved by the grace of God. That's grace, 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 grace. And, and just like excusing us ourselves from ever like having any accountability in our lives. And then there's another ditch of, man, I just like, I got to pull myself up on my own bootstraps and I got to make this happen. And I'm never sure that God's really accepted me or pleased with me. Like I'm trying so hard to make it happen or I, I feel that weight that like it's all on me. That's another ditch. And those things are very common, both for, for Christians and, you know, especially for Christians fall into both of those ditches very easily. I've fallen into both of those ditches many times in my life. It's, it's, but the, the road is to be in a place of, hey, faith in Jesus, because I've trusted in him, and faith also involves allegiance. It's saying, you're the Lord, you're the king. That means I'm going to follow you and my progressively grow in a life of obedience and devotion to you. Does that help? Any follow-up question from you? No, okay, good. Phil, yeah. 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 Yeah, Phil and I had a conversation a couple, last week or two weeks ago about in, in Revelation there's the one difficult passage about the mark of the beast. She's like, what is that? That's one of those weird things, you know. You read in Revelation, and the idea is, don't get if you people that have the mark of the beast on their head and their hand, um, they wouldn't be allowed to do business without that. But those are people that were not in God's kingdom, and there have been all sorts of I've heard in my Christian life theories about, man, they're going to try to implant a chip in you, so don't do it. One of my friends always made the joke, if they're going to do the chip, make sure you get the hand instead of the forehead, because that'd be really awkward when you're buying groceries to like, <laughs> scan groceries that way. <laughs> but, but it's missing the whole point, really, that it's, God is always after our hearts. And it's, our allegiance to Jesus is not so much like, what symbol or you know, thing are we doing? But are our, our, our hearts and our minds trusting in Jesus, and faithful to Jesus. And so the, the hand and the, the head, I believe, represents our minds and our actions. So if we have faith in Jesus, that plays itself out in our actions and our thoughts and beliefs. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Any questions? This is interesting stuff. Oh, spilled some water there. Okay. Um, there's 2 Corinthians 3, let's just look at this real quickly, 2 Corinthians 3, um, is there a slide before that, Kim, Did I? yeah, there we go, verse 10 says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, this is Paul the Apostle talking, and someone else is building upon it, let each one take care how he builds upon it, so he's talking about building into people's lives. And each person's life is, is like a building. So Paul's saying, I laid the foundation, and then, but then the building continues to go from there. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there's that faith in Jesus is the foundation. We don't have any foundation until we have put our faith in Jesus as our king and as our savior. So Paul laid that foundation. And then he goes on. And says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So there we see, we have a foundation of Jesus, but then we build something upon that. And he talks about different kinds of building materials. You can build out of really valuable and good materials like gold and silver and precious stones. Or you can build upon it with wood, hay, or straw. And so, you can be saved and have a good foundation, but then you can build a quality life upon that of obedience and faithfulness to Jesus, or a life of self-centeredness and compromise and fear and yada, yada, yada. Those are, we Build different types of structures upon that foundation. And they go, and then it, but it says, there's a coming a day, the day, capital D, this judgment day, will disclose how we have built our lives. Because there's a, there's a fire, representing this, you know, the fire of judgment, that tests what sort of work each one has done. And then in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So, there it is. There's the end of our lives and our judgment day. what has been built upon the foundation of Jesus will be assessed, and it's saying, hey, there, there will be a lot of people who they haven't built diddly squat of value upon the foundation of Jesus, and that's all going to be revealed. And good news is that they'll be saved. Like, they're gonna, their name is still written in the book of life. And hey, that's still a good thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good thing. But there's still gonna be regret. Like, oh my goodness, like, what a, what a waste of, of the opportunity that I was given. And then there are a lot of other people who say, wow, by the grace of God, something was built into my life that stood the final examination. And there are rewards for that, and rewards in eternity. So, it comes down for us, you know, the questions, is the first question is, is our name written in the book of life? You know, that's the first question, is have I turned from my sin and trusted in Jesus? And am I ready in that sense? And and then, um, are we investing what he's entrusted to us? Are we preparing and living life in a way that, that we'll be ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be rewarded for that. Uh, I just want to end with this, this last verse before, we, before we, um, we're going to take part in communion together. And I just love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It's speaking of, of this time of standing before Christ. In Jude 1, 24 and 25, we read, Now to him to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God, that seems like too good to be true. But Jesus is telling us that Jesus is able to do a work in our lives so that when that final exam comes, when we look at Jesus eyeball to eyeball, we don't have to lower our gaze. But we are ready to look at him knowing that we are blameless, which is because of his blood. But there's also a sense that he is ready to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that we stand at that final exam and say wow here I am and I've seen Jesus and this is I am completely ready and this is something to celebrate that is uh, just it amazes me that God is that good that he could do that work in my life because I know like I couldn't do that on my own there's no way I fall so far short but it's saying our ability to be in that place And look at him look him in the eye and not lower our gaze it's through him and it's through our trust in him it's through his grace in our life it's through what he did on the cross both when we first get saved and then day by day by day by day living a life of trusting in him and drawing our life from him and then living to serve him as we do that he is able to to bring us to that place that we can be ready so Jesus is the one. You know, none of us have the ability to, in and of ourselves, to be ready for this final exam. Jesus is the one who forgives our sins. He's the one who writes our names in the Lamb's Book of Life or allows them to be written there. He's the one who empowers us to live for him so we don't have to drop our gaze. And so um, we're going to have a time of communion right now. And just to really, you know, for those of us who are saying, yes, my trust is in Jesus. And I am even renewing that trust right now. Both to forgive me of my sins. And also to work in my life to transform me. To make me the person he's called me to be. To live life well. And um, I think it would be good just to take... Michael, can you come up maybe? Just, let's take a minute and just have a time of prayer here. And Sharon, too, if you, whatever you guys think is good. some music. But let's, let's come before God. And just, um, let's just bow our heads and pray here. Lord, we come before you. Thank you that you've made us for a purpose and you are able to fulfill your purpose concerning us. Lord, we we thank you today for the cross. We thank you for taking our sin, for taking our failures, for taking our rebellion, our idolatry, our unfaithfulness, for taking it upon Yourself. Thank You that You promised that when we trust in You, You remove our sins as far as the East is from the West. So we can stand in Your presence with confidence. Lord, thank You that You empower us even in our weakness, in the wanderings of our heart, our unfaithfulness, that you still are working by your grace to draw our hearts back to you and to, to bring us more and more in alignment with you and living out the life you've made for us. Lord, help us in that. Just take a minute here and just come before God and just whatever's on your heart Let's take time to prepare our hearts to, to receive communion. For those of us who are followers of Jesus and ready to want ready to do that today, let's let's just pray for you know, whatever you want to pray to come into that place. They continue to play whenever you're ready if you want to just go to the back of the room and get a cup and piece of bread um just be careful the bread